Okay, we're going to read, I'm going to read this morning from uh, a few verses in the Bible, okay? I'm going to read from Genesis 3, Genesis 3, verse 1. <clears throat> now the serpent was more subtle, and that's the word we want to kind of focus on this morning. Uh, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, any creature which the Lord had made. All right, and then we have 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and there's a turn, all right, 2 Corinthians 11. This is 2 Corinthians 11, okay, and we're going to read the first three chapters, uh, verses. Would to God, this is Paul speaking to the, the Corinthian church, the Holy Spirit through him. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin, virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then I'm going to turn to John, the 11th chapter. John 11. John, the 11th chapter. And verses 25 and 26. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet will he live. Remember, dead, of course, it never means extinction. It's just separation. Verse 26, and whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Believe you this, will never be separated. So we see here that Christ himself is the resurrection. He's the I am, he's the resurrection, and he's the life. And so... We've been touching on, this morning, we've been touching on some scriptures here. And what we've been talking about, we've been talking about the sense of grace and what that means. And we'll get into that, but I'm going to, I want to share, is again, I just looked up in the original languages this morning, the two places that, that are, that we mentioned in Genesis 3 verse 1. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. In Genesis 3, verse 1, the word subtle is from the Hebrew word aram. And this is what it means. It means cunning. It means to have prudent, in other words, a false prudence based upon a lie, and that's eight times, crafty two times, and subtle one. That word arom, literally in its original, means nude. As an adjective, it means naked. Now, if we look in the garden before he tempted uh, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 6, it says that both the husband and the wife, Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, verse 25, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. They weren't ashamed. Now, that original word where we talked about we're talking about arom. That original word is from the Hebrew word aram, and it's a primitive root, 
And it means to, to, to be or to make bare. Notice that? To be or to make bare. And the idea is of smoothness. Crafty, really smooth. To be cunning. And that's what Satan is. When we function outside, the only sense for the believer that makes any sense is the sense of grace and truth that Christ is. So when we think outside the sense of grace, when we don't submit to the word, when we don't, haven't been taught it or don't understand it or rebel and are stubborn against it, the only thing that we function in is subtlety. And that kind of subtlety makes us ashamed because it makes us bare, in other words, open to the enemy, makes us bare. And he's a smooth talker. You ever hear that? There's like men, men that, you know, try to go after women and pick them up. They're a real smooth talker. They're smooth. But what they're doing is they're hiding in the lie and deceit. They may say some truth, like a man could say to a woman, boy, you're really beautiful. But, <laughs> but behind it, it could be something else. And usually when it's subtle, there is the sense of being seduced. That's what Satan does to believers when, when you and I, when we don't function in the sense of grace and truth. What are we talking about the sense? What do we mean when we say the sense of grace? Well, the sense of grace the very sense of grace literally means that everything about us, everything about us as our life that Christ is, has to do with him. Everything. In Colossians 3 verse 4, he's our life. In Ephesians 2 and verse 14, he's our peace. And when we don't submit our will to him in obedience to the word, to the word that he has made very clear, revealed through the illumination of himself, which is expressed in that word that the Holy Spirit takes. He takes the Holy Spirit, what's written and true about Christ. And when I submit to it, the Holy Spirit takes it and makes the written word a living or a life-giving force. This keeps out subtlety, keeps us from being subtle, because that's exactly what we are in the flesh. We bear that fleshly nature that we inherited in the first Adam, thank God, that we are no, that's in us in Romans 8, 9, but that we're no longer of. When we don't have the sense of who Christ has made us to be by him being the grace and truth that he is towards us, the only thing we can function in is subtlety. So we know that the sense of grace and truth that is Christ is is sense, it's reality. Anything outside of that is subtlety. And what is subtlety? It's absolute nonsense. And it's absolute nonsense. And the enemy's a smooth talker. He, he's a liar and he's a smooth talker. We know that. So again, this word subtle, arum, okay, again, is, is literally means cunning, prudent, crafty. Subtle. And then again, the original word and its original meaning literally is, to, is nude. It's as an adjective, as we said, it's naked. And again, in Genesis 2, uh, 25, Adam and Eve, in their relationship with each other, before subtlety ent entered in, there was no shame. But the enemy, through his smooth talk and his lies, 
to the believer through his subtlety wants to make them bear. It's very interesting that in Proverbs 10, verse 12, it says love covers. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. That's what love does. And love is very, God is love. And love, God, is very, very protective. And to keep out all these, this idea of the lies and smoothness of the enemy. Now in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, that word subtle or subtlety, and when, when the Holy Spirit is using this in this particular place in 2 Corinthians, what we need to remember is, and when we study the Word of God and understand it in isagogics, and all that means is to study the Word in its historical frame of reference. So the Holy Spirit has Paul use this to the Corinthians who were constantly rejecting him. Rejecting him, the one that taught them, in many cases won them to Christ, invested in them. And now, and, and now what we see here, what we see is what happened was they were rejecting him because the enemy got behind them as believers as believers, got behind him and were completely rejecting him. And their rejection was based upon a lie in the enemy's smooth talk. That's what he does. He makes us smooth talkers in the flesh. And so they were rejecting him. The word there, subtlety, he said, I fear with the same subtlety that, that Satan came against Eve, he would do that to you folks. He would do that to you uh, from a vessel that God had used to teach and to win you over to Christ. And that word there, subtlety, is panogia, panogia, and it's from panagos. And this is what this word means. It's all working. Notice what this is. When we haven't submitted to the word of God, Christ himself in his person and everything that he's accomplished, when we don't do that, when we take time off from God, remember we've said so many times for, you know, for all of us, what is delayed obedience? Yeah, I know, but. Delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. That's what it is. And so when we put that off from submitting to what we know to be right, but give way to the flesh that's in us that we're not of, again in Romans 8, 9, we function in subtlety. When we take time off from God through a lack of obedience or just even like bad teaching or when we have it to rebel against it and to be stubborn against it, does the enemy take time off? Never. Never takes time off. He's all working, meaning he's ne he never stops working. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a time off. He has a a whole invisible army of demons we can't even number that are constantly projecting reasonings, shrewd, smooth talk. We know that in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. This smooth, shrewd talk uh, in, through subtlety against the believer because they're in Christ. Really? He's against Christ in you and he's against you in Christ. He is shrewd. He's always working. He doesn't take time off. You ever wonder, oh my God, why doesn't this stop? Listen, 
His push button is the flesh in the Christian. The second, it's his autopilot. The second he can get us in the flesh, he's got us. He can't capture us positionally, but can he capture our will when we don't submit to teaching that we know or when we don't have that teaching? That's brought out in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26. It says they are taken captive by his will. When my will's not submitted okay, to Christ, the only thing it can function in is the flesh. And is the flesh subtle? Yeah, because the enemy gains control. Not in the position. Position is what we teach. Our position in Christ is untouchable even by sin because it's based upon relationship. And our relationship in Christ, sin doesn't touch. But he does, it does touch the experience. And if my experience through a lack of submission to Christ, through, through the word that we know, and by the way, that involves submitting to one another in Ephesians 5 and verse 21. Then what do we say? We're subtle. We become subtle. So this word panagia is from, again, from that Greek word panagos, and it means all working, shrewd. That word panagos is from the Greek word pas, P-A-S. This is what this means, pas. It's used in all forms, notice forms, of declension. You're going down. See? You begin to go through his subtlety that we submit to and not Christ. We begin to go down in our mind. And what's that mean? We lower, we lower Christ too. He's no longer valued. We lower him. He begins to decline in our thinking and everything else takes his place. His place. And remember, as we've been taught by God so graciously by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God does not want, maybe you've heard this before, God wants first place in your life. I beg to differ. God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, they have first place by virtue of who they are. They want every place. <laughs> they want every single place. Because every place, through the submission of the will and proper teaching when we submit to it, every place that we have that, it keeps out subtlety. In other words, it keeps the flesh out. He keeps the flesh out. All he has to do is get me in one area because what does a little leaven do to the whole lump? It leavens the whole lump. Leaven is a type of sin. That's what it's a type of all through the scriptures. You see it brought out all through the scriptures, especially when you get into Leviticus 13 and 14, those two chapters. And then you get into the teaching of the epistles that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul for us as the church. We can, those things become very, very clear. Extremely clear. So, again, that's from pas, and it means all forms of declension. Form. That's why Paul said that in the latter days, you know, some in the latter days would depart from the faith in 1 Timothy 4.1. When we depart from the faith, proper teaching that we know, when we depart from it, what do we do? We give heed to seducing spirits. We get seduced. It's like we're walking around naked, uncovered, by the protection of God's love through the submission of his word to function in the sense of grace that keeps out that subtlety. And so, all forms. So, some will depart from the faith. The faith there is, in Ephesians 6, 16, for the believers, it is above all things, it says, taking the shield, and really, in the Greek, it says the faith. 
The faith there in Ephesians 6.16 that quenches all those fiery missiles, those subtle fiery missiles that the enemy projects against projects these imaginations against depending on Christ to get us to function in the flesh. Be smooth talkers. You know, we can be a smooth talker. A smooth talker, you know. Very smooth. But is it reality? Is it real? And God would have us to be very real in our relationships with each other because then there's fellowship and then if there's not, that's why we need to deal with things and we've been taught how we should deal with them too. It's not going to change for any of us. We need to deal with things transparently and openly. And we've discussed in the past, through past messages, how that's to be done. We don't go outside of God's order. We don't, we don't go to anyone but God first and then to the person, period. Because that keeps out subtlety and all forms of the flesh. So in 1 Timothy 4.1, in the latter times, the latter days, if it was latter days in Paul's day, what is it now? In the latter days, some will depart from the faith. No longer have a shield, then all those fiery missiles come in and they start consuming us. These thoughts, these subtle reasonings and thoughts. Wow, did you hear what that one said? Did you see the way that one looked? Did you see the way that one acted? He uses everything. So we have, in contrast, versus one another, we have subtlety and the sense of the grace and truth that is ours in Christ. We have that. So again, that word panagos, pas, P-A-S, is from all working. It means shrewd. All forms of declension. Okay, so. In the last days, in the last days, in 2 Timothy 3.1, it's going to be very difficult and hard. Very, very hard because of the world system that we're in, but that we're not of. Notice what it says. And then it says, and the reason why, and let me read that, and I'll I'll read these, and and we can see the sense that God wants to give us this morning. It says here, this know, he wants us to know this, that in the last days, are we in the last days? Is any prophecy left to be fulfilled? Perilous, hard, stressful, dangerous times will come. Why? Reason why? For men will be lovers of their own self. Can a Christian be a lover of themselves when they don't submit and return in obedience the love of God that he loved them first with in 1 John 4, 19? Yep. And when we don't love God through a lack of, of submission and obedience, what do we do? We love ourselves. And loving self means we're covetous. You know what covetous means, right? Anything we want, we're not going to hold back. We wouldn't think of it in the flesh. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Look at disobedient to parents. And that's natural and that's spiritual. Unthankful, unthankful spirit, unholy, without even natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, boy, heady. Proud, right? High-minded, above everybody. Lovers of pleasures. Oh, Christians, <laughs> you get this one straight, right? You want to talk about subtlety. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. 
having, verse 5 in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but separated from the reality and the sense of grace, because that power and truth only comes from Christ through grace by the power of the Holy Spirit, but denying the power thereof. Who's the power? Christ in 1 Corinthians 1, 24. How are we kept in 1 Peter 1, 5? By the power that Christ is. And he keeps us with wisdom. And wisdom is the sense of grace that keeps out subtlety of the flesh under the, under the enemy. Can't touch position, goes after the experience. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from what? Such what? Turn away. Turn away. If you don't turn away from your flesh, what do you think you're going to bring to another believer? And then what do you think you're going to call fellowship? Oh, Lord, for any of us. This is true of any of us. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, boy, oh boy, led away with all kinds of lusts. See? See, that's the subtlety. That's the subtlety of the enemy. That's the subtlety. And oh boy, how subtle it is. But now we see this. What The reason for the subtlety that he wants to cause in, a, in the negative effect to be in the place of the sense of grace and truth that the believer is in Christ and Christ in him, he wants to replace it with, with what? Subtlety. Watch. This is, this is 2 Timothy 1. Verse 11, he says, Paul says, whereof I am appointed. Now, he wasn't self-appointed, a preacher. He was not self-appointed. No man ever appointed him. No man can ever do that. Never. Whereof I am appointed a preacher and apostle, a special messenger, and a teacher of all those, the Gentiles, all those people groups. For the which cause I also suffer these things. You're going to have some, when you preach the truth, you're going to suffer some things. But that's a badge of privilege. Nevertheless, I am what? Not what? Ashamed. See? Not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against up, up until that day that I, that day and that day when we see him. Verse 13 of 2 Timothy 1. Hold fast the form of sound words which you have heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So there is a form of sound words and there's a form of subtlety. There's a form of it, those words. So again, we'll, let, we'll finish up with the word panagos, which is all working from uh, panagia, which is from panagos, which means all working. He never stops working. Shrewd. And by the way, the whole time he's, he, stop, he doesn't stop working, the whole time Christ is waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30, verse 18. Which one do we want to submit to? See? You know, our struggles don't come from what we don't know. Our struggles come from what we do know and refuse to submit to. That's where all our troubles come from. Because until, we, until we, uh, the light comes on and, and the revelation has been illuminated, okay, we're not even in that sense held to be responsible because grace hasn't done its work yet. But we are, that's why we need to keep short accounts of sin. Based upon 1 John 1, 9, we've had teaching on that too. Uh, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It doesn't stop there, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we've gone on to that 
gone into that in, in past teaching. So we see here, again, again, that word uh, panagos, which uh, panagia from panagos is from pass, all forms, no notice, of declension. All, any, every, the whole of it. That's what pass means. In a declension, in a, declen in a, in a, in a reducing stage, he's all working to reduce in us our experience of Christ in us and us in Christ. That's what he's doing. It's all the time, anytime he can, every time he can, the whole time that he's allowed to do it. That's PAS, P-A-S. And it's also, again, Panagia from Panagos is also made up, not just of P-A-S, PAS, but Ergon, E-R-G-O-N. That word ergon is used in the Greek New Testament 176 times. Look at what it means. And it's from the Greek word ergo, E-R-G-O. Listen to what it means. To work. Oh, God. To work. To toil. How many times he tries to... He, he lies to the believer, function in the lust of the flesh with his subtlety and his smooth talk, and he can catch us like this. It, it takes it takes him the instant we the instant we forget instant we get away that's why fellowship is so delicate that's why the easiest thing to do is to forget God and get out of fellowship it can and that can be very hard to get back in how many know that one it can take a while to get back in but he's faithful he always leaves a way open for us to come back we know that based upon uh, the uh, parable of the prodigal in Luke 15, 11, and 32. The father was always waiting for the son to finally come back in rags because that's what subtlety in all forms outside Christ who is a proper form, that's what it leads to. And so it means to work or to toil as an effort or occupation. That's what he wants. He wants us to be occupied. When we get in the flesh through his subtlety, all those fleshly lusts begin to take over. And we toil. We've got to do something about it. You know? How many times have you hated what you did, but yet you still went back to it? Countless times. And oh my God. I think we've all in some form have experienced that. To work, to toil, an effort. By implication, it's an act. In other words, he wants us to be active not resting in God's love in Christ through obedience and a submitted will and continued teaching and preaching for, for all of us, and we all need it, every single one of us, but to be involved actively with his subtlety to cause us to toil. He keeps saying, listen, this will help you. You go back, you do it. How long did it last? You go back again. How long did it last? And so it means this, it means thin, deceitful, piercing. Oh, he wants to pierce the believer when he gets them. When he's captured their will experientially through a lack of submission in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. Oh, how he likes to pierce us through with shame. But I know. And, and there's shame in the experience. But is there any in the position that Christ sees us in Hebrews 2, verse 11. He is not ashamed to call us brethren. Is there any shame in us? And if there is, 
if there is, there's a way through, through teaching and through confessing it, Christ being our confession, to deal with it. Again, in James 4, verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And no longer, huh? it doesn't matter how long we put off doing it. And, and remember, the enemy, through, also through his subtlety, will give excuse after excuse why you can't do that. And it's as simple as not submitting I will. But it's not going to change. If I live in one area of sin, it affects everything. If I live in an area of disobedience, what does that do? That subtlety. What does it do in the experience? It clouds, lifts us up with pride like the, the novice in 1 Timothy 3, 6, not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride, smoke screen, so he no longer sees and functions in the sense of grace and truth that Christ is in him as a vessel. So, He's very piercing. He wants to pierce us through with shame because he's sly. He's very artful. He's treacherous. His whole plan is based upon subtlety, which is a lie. Well, thank God for us in Christ, those that are in Christ, positionally, we have the Lord's power and love. He has defeated him. God, Christ has defeated Satan. I'll read the scriptures for that. We usually uh, will quote them. Sometimes it's very necessary uh, to read them. In Hebrews 2, in Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of blood and flesh, humanity, there, we, have a, we had a sin nature, and we, we did, and uh, we were born with that sin nature. He never was. He was born with a human nature. So when it says he took part, he took part of, the, of our humanity, but not our sin nature because he had to be the spotless lamb as we brought out in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and in Numbers 19, 1 and 2. And that's why you and I in him positionally are without spot. Song of Solomon 4, 7, you're all fair, my love. You're gorgeous. There's no spot in you. There's no spot in you. So look from the top in Song of Solomon 4.8. That's our position in Christ. Look from the top. Don't allow him to bring you down through his declension, through thinning you out, through his lies and his subtlety. For as much then, in Hebrews 2 verse 14, as the children are partakers of blood and flesh, he also likewise took, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Remember, death is separation. We can never be separated positionally from Christ. But boy, does he, enemy, through his subtlety, want to separate us experientially from him. And then we've got to replace him. Because you can't handle it. We just, we, we just can't handle it, so we've got to do something. If it's not Christ, how many other things is it? God, how many other ways? How many other things do we put in place of him? <clears throat> and deliver them. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's why he took on him he, he took on the seed of Abraham. He didn't take on, notice how it says that in Hebrews 2.16. He didn't take on the seed of Abraham because Abraham didn't have a thing to do about it. 
anything, everything that God was doing through Christ, through all those sacrifices that he was teaching, all those sacrifices that he was teaching him. And he was teaching them again in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, in those first eight verses. He was teaching them that it had nothing to do with him. He took on him the seed of Abraham, that was Isaac. Was Isaac the production of Abraham and Sarah when Abraham was 99 and she was, and Abraham was 100 and she was 99? Did they have any reproductive organs functioning at that time? Absolutely not. They were completely helpless and hopeless in themselves. That's when God gave them the promised seed, Isaac. And he's a type of Christ. And Christ took on that to fulfill it. He's the fulfillment. When Abraham said to Isaac in Genesis 22 and verse 8, he said, my son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. God will provide. And that he's done. That he has done. But the energy, there's the energy and the power. And we've said before, as the word has taught us over the years, and we've been teaching this by, by the pure grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, who takes the written word, makes it a, a reality, a life-giving force, has taught us that the energy of God's nature is love. Do we have any energy, truthfully, without him, without God, in the spiritual sense? Absolutely not. The energy of his nature is love. The purity of his nature is light. We know that. So we have the Lord's love, the power and love through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit because we have Christ in us. But the enemy also has another energy. Another energy. And what is that energy? Okay, what is, the, what is that energy? It's evil. That's what he has. That's why we say the flesh is evil. The flesh that's in us that we're not of is evil. It just is evil. It's just as bad and just as evil and just the same as the unsaved person who continue with her whole lifestyles under the, under the enemy. But what is it? His energy is evil. And can he, through his subtlety, bring that evil and that evil energy into the experience of the believer even though they are so loved by Jesus Christ? Yes. How does he do that? Through submission to the flesh and not giving our will over. So we operate in the flesh with a naked will. We are taken captive. It's interesting it says that. And we'll see this as we begin to close this morning. In 2 Timothy 2, and I'm going to read these verses in 2 Timothy 2. And this is what God is doing this morning. And by his pure grace, this is what he does every time we come together and and receive the word. This is what he's doing. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 22, it says, flee youthful lusts. Flee them. Don't play around with them. Don't give them place for a second because it, all it takes for him is a moment. The blink of an eye. Remember Bell Laboratories and GE Laboratories? When it talks about the blink of the eye in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52, the blink of an eye, okay? The blink of an eye is between 11 and 14 one-hundredths of a second. <laughs> Boy, that's how quick he can get us. And we're no match for him apart from submission to Christ. You see that in James 4, verse 7. God resists the proud, 
flesh, Christian functioning in the flesh, but he gives those grace that he's humbled, greater degrees of grace. Therefore, submit yourself to God, right? Submit yourself to God, and then what happens? When we submit to God, the devil what? Flees, because Christ is no match for him. When my will is submitted to him, Christ fulfilled the will in John 4, verse 34. He finished the work in John 19, 30. The enemy knows he's no match. He's no match when he meets him. When he sees him in our experience, flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, love, self-sacrificial love, not charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a heart that's been purified. But foolish and unlearned questions, and that's the subtlety of the enemy. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Does grace make any sense to the man who wants to live in the flesh? And he's not even concerned about that. You think, you think in the flesh that me or you or any of us would be concerned with Christ in the flesh? We have absolutely no concern for him. Thank God he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Hebrews 13.5, Joshua 1.5. He doesn't fail us, nor forsake us. The reason is 1 Corinthians 13.8. Love never fails. And it will never be, fail to be our only place of protect, protection, security, and safety. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Something that goes against the word of God. You don't have to do that. You don't, you don't have to do that. You don't, who do they think they are? You, you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do it. Foolish questions avoid knowing that they gender what? Strifes. Strifes. And the servant of the Lord, the true servant, which is a true worshiper, not a self-worshiper in the flesh, but a true worshiper, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach. Apt to teach here means highly skillful, extremely high, highly skillful, and that takes years, by the way. Highly skillful in the Word of God because the skill comes from Christ, period. It doesn't come from the natural. It's not natural intellect or intelligence at all. It has nothing to do with that based upon 1 Corinthians 2, 9-16. But be gentle unto all, apt to teach, what? Long-suffering, patient, forbearing. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Christ forbears with me. Oh, God, it's amazing. And boy, to preach Christ, boy, do you have to forbear with people. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us all. And, hum and he will through humility. And uh, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Why does the enemy want believers to function in the flesh through his subtlety, through his lies? Because when he can get in the experience, he will cause you, through his subtlety and his lies, to oppose you. He tells you these things are all right, then, eh, you know. I heard this, this teaching about this thing and this. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't believe so. And then I would question the person that would say that. Well, okay, then let's, let's have a conversation. Show me where you get what you get. You must be basing it upon facts as a believer especially. And then I can show you where I get what I get. Which is, and again, 
We all have that in Christ. It's all of ours. No one, no one has it more positionally, but maybe a lot more in maturity and experience. And it's still grace and truth. And meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure hopefully will, will, God's will, See, willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3, 9? Experientially even. Is he even willing, for especially those that he's loved and his son has done so much for? Is he, is he willing that you should perish through the subtlety and lies in your experience? Of course not. Get around godly men. Godly women. Seriously. Jeremiah 5, 5. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Get around godly people. Not perfect, but godly. Not perfect. And when they, when they sin and make mistakes, they'll get right with God and then they get right with you. And a mistake is a misstep and it's, and it's sin. But we confess sin because when we sin in Psalm 51 and verse 4, it's against God. Then it affects others. Right? But thank God for confession. Open transparency. And then at times we need to go in James 5, 16, and 15. Go to them. 15 and 16, we need to go to them. and But alone. But first go to God. <laughs> so that when you go to them, it's not in the flesh. <laughs> but go to him first. Okay? In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if peradventure, God will give them. Notice, and what is, how does God give us things? Through what we deserve or through grace? through the sense of grace, which is truth. You can't separate tra uh, grace from truth and truth from grace. You can't do that from charis and aletheia. You can't do that. You cannot do it because it's Christ and he's one. <laughs> God will give them repentance, a complete change of mind, so finally they'll, they'll stop acknowledging the flesh but acknowledge the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare, the trap, the subtlety, the lie, See? Read Proverbs 29, 25 in conjunction with 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. Out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by, by him, by his will. When my will isn't submitted, I lose the sense of grace. It's the enemies taken cap captured my will experientially. And he does that through evil. But thank God we have. We can confess it and get right back in the truth. And sometimes that takes going to people, going to others, and dealing with issues, and not just blowing it off. See? But we have, thank God, we have the energy and the strength of God's power, which is Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what we have, what we saw here, even when Jesus, when he there was telling Mary that, and she was saying, if only you were here, you know, Lazarus, my brother, he wouldn't have died. And then Jesus said, you know, how, how many times did I tell you that I'm the resurrection and the life? How many times did I tell you that? And he told him that. But when, when we get to John 11 and verse 33 where Jesus groaned, he was groaning right there because he was, he was witnessing at that time. He was witnessing the power and evil and energy of Satan, which is death. And what is death? Getting people separated from God. He wants to separate those that have never received Christ and, and, and allow them to be in eternal state of separation from God. 
But with the believer, with a lack of a submitted will, with because of no teaching, bad teaching, or refusal of good teaching, he takes them captive at, at his will in their experience. And he can do it. That, but he was groaning there, Jesus, at the grave, because he was witnessing how people were, had disease and were dying and what death the energy of the enemy was doing. What he was doing. And he groaned. And we talked about that. He groaned. Yeah, he groaned. And then it says, it's, and then 11.35, uh, he wept. He wept. Tears of identification. Tears of identification. Against us? Hate us when we sin? Hate us when we fail? No. No, he groans. And he weeps. And what death is doing. Satan with his power. The, death is the result of the power of Satan. He lied, and he, he lies, and he continues to lie. He lied, he did, he lied to Eve. He told her, and he mixes, you know what he does? He mixes some truth with a lie. That's what he does, that's how he does it. He mixes some truth with a lie. He told her that the first lie was Genesis 3 and verse 4. If you disobey God, you will not die. You won't be set. So does disobedience separate us from God. Not positionally as believers, but experientially, absolutely. Yeah, ever wonder why believers get a little, you know, after years of investment and oneness, they, things start to happen. They get a little distant. And you can see it and you can discern it. They're just not the same anymore. What happened? See? He said, You won't die to her. He lied. Then when that lie takes place, when that lie takes place, then you see, listen, if you don't go forward with what God has done in your life, with, with the grace and truth that he's invested in your life, when he took you out of a certain place and invested that grace and truth in you, and if you don't continue to go forward with that, in proper relationships with proper people, you're just going to go back to that same stuff again. And he'll send you all the help you that, that he thinks that you need to do it. There's no question about it. He told Eve, you will be as God, knowing good and evil. That's right. That was true. Small g, you'll be, you'll be just like God. You don't need God. You don't need him to discern good and evil. <laughs> you know, Isaiah 5.20, they call evil good, good evil. They put light for darkness, darkness for light. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I, I can see in, in, when relationships, when we had the sweetness of relationships, and then you can see it, just things start to go like this. <laughs> the enemies got in with subtlety. I can see it. You can see it. And there's a stationary sense, but they're not going forward. And if you're not going forward, what do you do? You go back. I mean, who do we really care for in the flesh? Who do we not like something about someone in the flesh? <laughs> Go right back to it. Whole way. Your whole way of thinking becomes that. Now, the only thing he didn't tell them was that you're going to know good and evil, but the only way that you're going to know good and evil is in a fallen, ruined, miserable place, state. 
That's the flesh in the believer. That's the flesh. That's why, again and again, as much as we can, while we're on this earth, I wish, I don't know how, you know, I just don't know how, how much more to say this, but, you know, God's given us a place of security and safety. He does. He's given it to us. And, and, and honestly, honestly, it is a place of protection. It's, it's body life. It's body life. There's a place of protection. There's a, there's a complete place of protection. There's a plan. Satan has a plan, and so does God. One's based upon the sense of grace and truth, the only thing that makes sense. What makes sense to you and I? Does anything in this world, why we're in it but not of it, does anything in this world make any sense outside the sense of grace and truth that's Christ? He's everything. Does, he's everything. So outside of him, does anything make sense? It doesn't even make sense. Why do we do the things that we do? Does it make any sense? No. You know, Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word. He sent his word and he healed them. And he delivered them from all their, and it's plural in the Hebrew, from all their destructions. All the subtlety of the flesh, all the, the subtlety of the lusts that are in the flesh that are in the Christian, but that they're no longer of. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, he wa- the thief comes to steal. I hate when he does that. Especially when there was when there was relationships, when there was beautiful relationships and it was pure, and all of a sudden, it's just not the same anymore. It, it, it's not the same. And I just begin to wonder, I'm like, wow, what happened? What happened? And, and so I say, well, well, I don't understand what happened. What happened with that? What happened? Well, this is what could happen. Wickedness, and what is wickedness? Isaiah 57, 19, he creates the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him, to him that's afar off, and that can be experienced, and to them that are nigh, in a, in a right relationship and fellowship. Right? But the but the uh, the unbeliever, the wicked, is an unbeliever. And can I am I an unbeliever in the flesh? Yeah. And what does it do? It's like the troubled sea. And what does it do? It casts up muck and mire and dirt. Cast up all those lust patterns again in the flesh. And we go right back to them. We go right back to them in a heartbeat. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Listen to what it says: deceit and guile doesn't depart from her streets. When we go away from him and don't submit to his will, we go right down that street. Right down the street. Listen to what it says. And this is what the enemy does in relationships. He does. When there was sweetness and oneness and love, and when we did things together, and and it was so beautiful, and now all of a sudden it's not that way anymore. What happened? This is Psalm 55, verse 12. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man, my own equal, a Christian, my own equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. Verse 14, we took sweet counsel together. 
and walked unto the house of God in company, in oneness. That's what we did. And other things start taking people away. The enemy's very subtle. You've gone forward, he's going to fight it. And he'll use anything and everybody to do it. He will. He will. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them. Not that I wish it on them. Separation from God. And let them go down quick into the grave, into hell, into the grave. For wickedness is, the, is, the, is in their dwellings. Where does wickedness dwell in the Christian? It's in the flesh. But are we of it? No. And among them, but 55, 16 of Psalm, but as for me, I will call upon the Lord and the Lord God will deliver me. We need to be very careful, all of us, and to continue. And that's why we talk, I've talked about it here. Men praying together. Men praying. And you don't force people to do things. You suggest things. And then they, people have to be led by God in their will. Because if they're not willing and they don't make it known, what's the sense of even doing it? There's no sense to it at all. And not that we don't have responsibilities. But what responsibility would God ever give us that would interfere with fellowship with him? You tell me. You th- does that make any sense? It ain't make any sense. It just doesn't. Don't lose the sweetness of the oneness in relationship to those that are closest to you through, through subtlety of the enemy so that we end up groaning as a result of the flesh, but not suffering and groaning with him, with him for others. Because one groaning has to do with the flesh and that self-occupation and self-preservation and self-righteousness. Okay? And the other thing is about others, esteeming others better than yourself. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and letting that mind be in you. And 2, 5, of Philippians. And thank God we have the mind of Christ. He's given us everything. And even when we fail, there's a way open by promise. His promises don't fail. He says, if you confess it, you're going to experience the forgiveness that's yours. And not only that, I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And not only that, I'll bring you right to the place where you left off. I won't make you come all the way back and start over again. See, that's the lie. That's the lie from the enemy, the subtlety. He loves us. He desires deep intimacy and fellowship with us. And if I have that with him, guess what I'm going to desire with others? That deep, sweet fellowship that it talks about, that we read in Psalm 55. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your love that protects and keeps out subtlety and keeps out the wrong kind of groaning and gives us the privilege in the right sense to groan. And even even in our confession, even when we can't, even when we can't articulate it in its depth, the Holy Spirit is right there, our comforter in Romans 8:26. And he takes that prayer higher than you and I could ever do. Because God is for us in Romans 8.31 and Psalm 56, verse 9. He's not against us. This message is for us. This truth is for us, not against us. It's for us and not against us. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.